0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the first Major Mondays webinar of 2022. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about maximizing recovery in New York motor vehicle accident cases, dealing with the 50K threshold, and loss transfer. And there I am. Hello, everyone. Uh, as usual, this is a live question and answer, so feel free to post your questions in the little box on the webinar thing, and we'll get to them at the end. All right. So what is new york's no fault law why are we dealing with whatever this is so it comes from article 51 of the insurance law and there's mandatory policy endorsements uh in regulation number 68 it's the one i cited to there uh, it applies to accidents arising from the user operation of a motor vehicle in new york and what it provides is first party benefits and coverage for quote unquote basic economic loss um, and it bars any suits in insurance law 5104 between covered persons. Now, the reason I'm laying all of this out is because every one of these distinctions matters, and we're gonna get into that. So where does it overlap with our comp claims? Well, it's actually referenced in section 29, uh, 1A and 2A. Um, There's no subrogation or reimbursement rights for the first 50,000 paid in lieu of first party benefits. So what's the effect on our lien? Uh, well, there's a $50,000 carve-out to our Section 29 LEAP. Now, let's talk about the reason everyone's here for this webinar today, uh, exceptions to the $50,000 carve-out, and then we're going to get to loss transfer at the end. So I went through this definition at the beginning very briefly. User operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York between covered persons uh, and it's basic economic loss comprised of the first 50000 from all sources, um, and it's in lieu of first-party benefits, which is indemnity up to 2000 per month for not more than three years. And we're going to go through why every single one of these little distinctions matters. So, seems kind of... Um, obvious, but what is a motor vehicle? Well, we we have a statutory definition for it. So uh, it's in Insurance Law 5102F, that's the one that has all the definitions for the no-fault law. Um, It includes fire and police vehicles, excludes motorcycles, um, but it does point to Vehicle and Traffic Law 311, and this is how we start going down the rabbit hole. So what does Vehicle and Traffic Law 311 say? Well, it points to Vehicle and Traffic Law 125. Um, But it also includes tractors and trailers, and it excludes agricultural equipment, uh, snow plowing other than snow for hire, uh, and caterpillar and crawler type equipment um, being operated on a contract site. So what does vehicle and traffic law section 125 say? Every vehicle operated or driven upon a public highway, which is propelled by a power other than muscular power. Uh, And there are some exceptions that they list, for instance, you know, like, motorized scooters um, and things of that nature but uh here's a practical example so being hit by a backhoe on a construction site well, caterpillar and construction type equipment on a contract site are not part of the definition of a motor vehicle so that would not qualify meaning there's no no fault coverage available for that person meaning there's also no 50k carve out for our lean um Or what about a luggage vehicle you know on the tarmac at jfk or laguardia where it's just shipping luggage back and forth from the plane to the airport uh well that's not operated on a public highway um that's just driving around exclusively on a property that's leased by the port authority to the airport so that believe it or not even though it may just be a truck you know driving luggage back and forth it's technically not a motor vehicle under the statute So all of this matters because if there's no 50K or if there's no no no-fault coverage available, there's no 50K carve-out to our lien. So in those situations I just referenced, like the backhoe or the vehicles on the tarmac, uh, we would argue there's no 50K carve-out. So what is use or operation of a motor vehicle? Now we're starting to get into the weeds a little bit. So um, good case to look at to sort of uh, frame your reference point on this. Walton versus Lumberman's Mutual uh, Insurance Company And um, there they talked about how the mere fortuity of unloading a truck doesn't support a claim for no-fault benefits. The vehicle has to be the proximate cause or be a proximate cause of the injury. Um, No-fault benefits are unavailable when the party uh, was injured by an instrumentality other than the vehicle itself. Um, And they pointed to intentional torts always being excluded from the no-fault coverage historically. Uh, and then we have this Zakari versus Pro- Progressive Northwestern Insurance Code case from the second department, which actually, it gives us a helpful three-part test for um, when the motor vehicle is a proximate cause of the accident. So the accident must have har- must, must have must arisen from the inherent nature of the automobile. The accident must have um, arisen or must have arisen within the natural territorial limits of the automobile, um, so you know, unloading or loading uh, must not have been terminated, or the use or operation of the vehicle must not have terminated, uh, and the automobile uh, must not merely contribute to the to cause the condition which produces the injury, but must itself produce the injury. So some specific use or operation examples just to provide some context for this. so uh, a cement chute on a cement truck striking a plaintiff while unloading cement. Yes, use or operation of a motor vehicle. A truck spilling fuel, which causes another vehicle to slip, even though it happened several minutes later. Yes, uh, use or operation. Next strain, lifting boxes inside of a truck. No, not use or operation. Slipping on ice while leaving a truck. Um, you know, The vehicle, for instance, is just the mere situs of the incident. Unsurprisingly, no, no no-fault coverage available. Uh, a lighting from a bus into a hole in the street. So here we had a plaintiff that was actually leaving a bus uh, and then they stepped into a pothole and got hurt. No, not use or operation of a motor vehicle. Explosion of a gas stove in a motorhome. no. Uh, failure to escort a patient from an ambulance to a hospital door, and then they got hurt on the way, no. Um, <clears throat> oh, repeated that one twice, um, but a snowmobile striking a parked automobile, also no um so you can sort of see what the um pattern is here that if it's just if a vehicle is just sort of tangentially involved in the sense that the person was interacting with it but it wasn't the use of a motor vehicle as a motor vehicle that caused the actual accident or was approximate cause of the accident there's no no-fault coverage and then there's no 50k carve out to our um here's a really really sort of esoteric exception for you Section 5103B36, so there's an exception for vehicle repair in the course of business while on business premises. So if you have, um, you know, if your business is uh, oil change, for instance, and uh, your insured employee is working on the vehicle and then, you know, the stand for it collapses and the guy gets hit with a wheel. Uh, well, no, that's actually excluded from statutory coverage. But note that that exception is actually pretty strictly construed, um, they actually it has to actually arise from the vehicle that the person is servicing at the time the accident happens. So if it's another vehicle um, that, you know, hits one that the person's not working on and that's what hits them, um, that's not going to qualify for that exception. In the state of New York, again, this one seems pretty obvious, matter of McHenry versus state insurance fund is our seminal case on the issue, uh, basically, uh, the statute for no-fault coverage says for uh, use or operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. If it happens outside of New York state lines, Article 51 doesn't apply. Uh versus versus Green addressed this and even said that the fortuitous circumstance of an accident happening in New Jersey negated the requirement for the plaintiff to prove a serious injury under the no-fault law. Um, This also means a loss transfer would be not available for an out-of-state accident. And we are gonna get to loss transfer in just a second here. Um, But the inverse is actually um, different. It is still available if the accident is in New York and benefits are paid under another state's law. So because the 50K carve-out applies to accidents in New York, if the 50K carve-out applies and we wanna go after loss transfer, even if we paid benefits pursuant to New Jersey law, under the New York definition of the no-fault benefits, those are still in lieu of first-party benefits. And so we've successfully argued for loss transfer for out-of-state comp statutes for in-state accidents in New York. Between covered persons, one of my personal favorites. uh, Stedman versus City of New York is a good case to look at that'll instruct you on this topic. Um, So a covered person injured in the accident caused by a non-covered person is entitled to receive first-party benefits, right? They're covered through their own, you know, no-fault coverage. But the bar under 5104 doesn't apply. Uh, they can actually also bring an action against the non-covered person for economic and non-economic non-econ- loss without the need to prove the serious injury threshold. Um, but the first-party benefits provider would have a lien, so the covered person can't recover twice. Um, but because, you know, the at-fault party is uninsured, the person that got hurt can recover their, under their own no fall policy, and they also can sue. Uh, and so in that case, the carrier had a Section 29 lien on the recovery from non-covered defendants only. Um, so the city of New York was determined not to be a covered person, as was the company that they um, had used to repair the traffic light. Those are not technically covered persons under the statute, but. There were other defendants, individuals, who were covered persons under the statute. And so uh, the court actually bifurcated the recovery and there was no right of recovery on the section 29 lien against the recoveries coming from the covered persons, but yes to the ones coming from the city of New York and the company uh, that the city hired to do the repairs. So what is the definition of first party benefits? Because this actually kind of matters. Um, so it's the first 50,000 paid in necessary medical treatment loss of earnings up to $2,000 per month for not more than three years, and up to $25 per day for reasonable expenses for the first year from all sources. I put that in caps and I bolded it. The carrier does not have to pay the full $50,000 before we have lien rights. Uh, Don't let anyone tell you that. If um, the no-fault carrier chips in for medical treatment before they find out that it's a workers' comp case, sure, they're probably gonna try and get reimbursed for it in front of the board, uh, eventually, or the health insurer might pursue a HMP1 claim against the carrier. Um, but for practical purposes, it all adds to that $50,000 threshold. So you want to make sure that no other benefits are being paid as part of that first $50,000, because as the workers' comp carrier, you're not necessarily on the hook for the full fifty. dollars um, And then the first-party benefits definition there, less 20% of lost earnings. So if you have a loss transfer claim and they say, I'm only going to reimburse 80% of your indemnity, believe it or not, that's actually legitimate. Uh, Amounts recoverable from social security, disability workers comp or regular disability benefits, Medicare uh, and amounts deductible under the applicable insurance policy are all subtracted from the definition of first party benefits. Um, Note that schedule uh, schedule loss of use award is considered to be part of basic economic loss except to the extent that the total value of the ward goes over 50,000, regardless of the period it's attributed to. So there's actually a case on the topic where the SLU is paid something like five years after the date of loss. Uh, and you know the clever carriers attorney tried to say, this is more than three years after the date of loss. Um, it's not subject to the carve out. And the court said, well, no, uh, schedule a loss of use, even though it's ostensibly for a particular time period. Uh, it impacts the claimant's ability to earn wages overall, and hence it's part of basic economic loss. Um, but if the SLU takes you over 50K, obviously you retain lien rights on the amount over 50. Um, here's something I really want to stress, uh, and if there's one takeaway you take from this, it should be this little tidbit here. There is no analogous payment under the no-fault law to a Section 32 settlement. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, we can pay indemnity, we can pay medical. Um, Those are also covered under the no-fault law. That's why those benefit payments we make are in lieu of first-party benefits. There is no waiver of the right to future no-fault benefits. Um, Yes, you could do a lump sum settlement of future no-fault indemnity. That's permissible. There's a whole written form for it, but a surrender of no-fault medical treatment is actually invalid for the Department of Financial Services. Um, So, there is no analogous thing to a surrender of the right for future compensation benefits. Um, what does that mean? You have a lien on your Section 32 settlement in motor vehicle accident cases. If you only paid five thousand in comp and then you paid a twenty-five thousand dollar Section 32 settlement, your total paid on the case is thirty thousand dollars. And then say there's a third-party motor vehicle accident settlement. They're going to try and tell you you're not entitled to reimbursement. Well, that's false. You're entitled to approximately two-thirds of $25,000, i.e. the value of the Section 32. So just keep that in the back of your mind because I see that happen all too often. All right, here's just a little math example of why this 2K limit actually matters. And um, if you end up paying over 50,000 on the case, so in your high exposure or catastrophic cases, this really isn't gonna matter, um, you would never argue this point. Why? Because if you're arguing it's not part of the 50K carve-out, you're simultaneously arguing it doesn't get added to the calculation of when I reach the threshold. Um, You're saying, oh, this doesn't qualify as no-fault benefits. Well, practically, that just means you're gonna reach the threshold later on. Other benefits are gonna have to be paid in lieu of first-party benefits. So if you pay over 50, it's six in one hand, half dozen in the other. You're not making this argument. But if you've paid less than 50,000, here's an example of why this matters. Um, so, the ca- say the carriers paid uh, $45,000 only on the case. It's now closed. Uh, but over the course of that time, we paid indemnity at the statutory max rate for three months. And say that that results in over $4,000 per month paid in indemnity. Well, only $2,000 of that is subject to the carve out. So, say, for instance, this results in $7,500 $7, being paid over $2K per month over the course of three months. You're entitled to approximately two thirds of that $7,500. Regardless of whether you've paid fifty thousand in comp in a no-fault case, uh, why? Because that's the amount that exceeded two thousand dollars per month in indemnity. So you should be getting back about five thousand dollars of that excess payment. Uh, the same goes for the time limitation um, of three years. Uh, so where might this matter? A minimal LWEC classification where you're paying the statutory minimum of one hundred fifty dollars per week. You know, even the minimum is going to go on for two hundred twenty-five weeks. You're going to get past that three year threshold. And if you haven't paid over $50,000, you should still be entitled to assert your credit or offset rights against the indemnity payments under the LWEC classification, regardless of whether you've gotten to 50, uh, as long as it's after three years or more than $2K per month. Uh, again, just note that the SLU is an exception to that. All right, lost transfer. So this is how we get the $50K back. So what we've been talking about is. How can we successfully argue that there is no 50K carve out to our lien? Well, let's say we can argue that. Can we get it back from another source? Um, well, ordinarily, uh, the 50,000 paid in lieu of first party benefits is not recoverable, not subject to a lien, uh, but uh, section 291a says that our sole remedy is the comp carrier, is insurance law 5105. And it sets forth insurance law 5105, two different qualifiers, we'll call them for loss transfer when any vehicle in the accident either weighs over 6,500 pounds unloaded or is used principally, and here's the key term, for hire for the transportation of people or property. For hire matters. Um, A pizza place delivering pizzas in the course of its own business is not a vehicle for hire for the transportation of property, even though it's pretty close to the definition and we might be able to argue it. A FedEx truck, a UPS truck, a freight truck, things, uh, a tow truck even, That's transportation of property for hire. So keep that in mind. And people, transportation of people for hire, pretty obvious, taxis, ambulances, et cetera. Uh, If you're curious about how transportation network companies and ride sharing apply, I encourage you to check out the webinar on this topic from uh, this time last year, January, 2021, we went over that. All right, loss transfer interplay with section 29. So the carve out still applies. and uh, it, when, when the carve-out still applies, even if loss transfer is applicable. And why am I making that point? Because I see people all the time, um, you know, a different adjusters try to argue, well, this case qualifies for loss transfer, hence I have a lien. That's not true. Um, it's close to being true, but it's actually technically incorrect. Uh, it doesn't give you a right of recovery on the third-party settlement. When loss transfer applies, you still miss out on that first 50K from the third-party settlement. You have your own right of recovery directly against the other carrier, the at-fault carrier for the at-fault driver. Uh, The claimant has nothing to do with this. You can't waive the 50K in favor of the claimant. You don't need their consent. You don't need a Section 29.2 notice. This is your right of recovery, and you pursue it via arbitration if it's not paid voluntarily. Um, So it's a second source of recovery. Keep these distinct in your mind. It's two different kitties that that the money is coming from. Two different pools, $50,000 from loss transfer from the adverse carrier directly via arbitration, and a lien on anything over 50,000 subject to the Section 29 cost of litigation reduction. So basically, you're gonna get back two thirds of anything over 50K. Um, An example, uh, say the total we've paid is 100,000, and we get 50,000 back by loss transfer, we'd get approximately two thirds of the remaining $50,000 back via a lien recovery. Um, so why might loss transfer actually be better than a section 29 lien if we have a clear loss transfer case with clear liability? Well, three things. Number one, you don't have to wait. There's no one year or six months requirement under section 29.2. You serve that demand immediately. You serve it as your exposure increases. Um, number two, you don't need the claimant's participation at all. They don't even have to ever know that you serve this thing. Um, And number three, it's dollar for dollar, assuming the adverse carrier concedes 100% liability. There's no cost of litigation reduction to your loss transfer recovery. What you need for loss transfer, we're distilling it down just to the very basics, and then we're gonna wrap this webinar up. Um, So you need an accident that qualifies for no-fall coverage. Remember, that's use or operation of a motor vehicle in the state of New York. Um, You need an existing no-fall policy for the responsible party. Um, and note that that the, the mandatory policy endorsement in New York is that $50,000 for no fault. So any carrier writing a motor vehicle policy in New York is going to have that $50,000 coverage is available and that's what your loss transfer claim is against. Um, and carriers are mandatory signatories to intercompany arbitration under the law as well. Um, so basically if they're writing a policy for automobile or comp coverage in New York, they're subject to loss transfer except a comp carrier cannot be a respondent to intercompany arbitration, keep that in mind. Um, You need proof of the qualifier, uh, and that's the 6,500 pounds unloaded or uh, transportation of people or property for hire. Uh, You need some negligence. Loss transfer is not strict liability. The statute said it applies to the extent that the other carrier would be liable but for the no-fault law to pay damages in an action at law. In other words, if an arbitrator determines that your driver is 50% at fault, the claimant's 50% at fault, you're going to get 50% of the award. Uh, So negligence matters. And uh, finally, you need proof of your damages, payment ledger, ledger, HICFAs, um, you know, uh, froy's showing you paid the indemnity, anything anything to that extent. Uh, That's what you're going to need to bring to the table for a loss transfer case. All right, maximizing your reimbursement. So remember, loss transfer is better uh, if it's a clear loss transfer case with clear liability because it's dollar for dollar. You don't have to wait and you don't need to claim it. Uh, If loss transfer is unavailable, you should be looking for carve out exceptions and exclusions. Uh, Remember to be proactive with regard to both the loss transfer claim and the Section 29 lien. Uh, In other words, start pursuing these things from the outset of your case. The longer you wait, the harder it will be to prove either of them. Uh, And coordinate efforts with defense of the workers' compensation claim. Always keep an eye on that global settlement. It's one of our favorite ways to reduce exposure. Uh, And keep an eye on when you might need to submit a new loss transfer demand. And if you want to learn anything more on this topic, um, we're happy to announce that the New York Workers' Comp and Subrogation Risk Transfer book for 2022 is out and live. So if you want a copy of it, it has this, it has HMP1s, Kelly, Burns, you name it, it's all in there. So if you want a copy, email me cmajor at loisllc.com. I'll be happy to forward it along to you. Now, let's see if we got any questions before we wrap up. Next month, we're going to be talking about predicting hemp one exposure and defending hemp one cases. So uh, it's an exciting topic. I hope you'll, uh, hope you'll be a part. Let's see if I can uh, expand this out. No, definitely no questions. All right. Like I said, um, if you want to copy of the book, feel free to email me. Uh, other than that, until next month. Thanks for joining.